What if you just said what you're actually thinking in your relationship, during sex, and anywhere else you happen to be? We're talking with John Rosagna, founder of Honesty Lab, about how to do just that for better communication, intimacy, personal growth, and full-bodied forgiveness. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex, because sex is never just about sex. I'm T. This is episode 150. So uh, just in time for the holidays. Woo! Yeah, um, super grateful to have you joining us, John. Thank you. Uh, I did a workshop. Well, actually, okay, before we get started, I just want to check in with my listeners. Uh, hey, guys. Um, I know Steph and I have been a little bit more spotty with our postings. Um, I'm actually uh, posting a conversation with Billy Procida from the Man Whore podcast on our Patreon account. If you guys want to check that out, when I visited uh, last month, some of you commented on our Instagram to... Um, who you wanted us to talk with. So I was able to, to get in a conversation with him. Um, but anyway, we are talking about honesty lab with John. I did a workshop with you, uh, a few months ago and, um, and it was so completely powerful and wonderful. Uh, can we talk a bit about how you got started exactly what honesty lab is doing? Um, yeah, maybe just those basics to to help our listeners orient themselves. Yeah. So I got into this honesty stuff, which kind of broadly called radical honesty, because I was living in New York, and um, I noticed how basically towards the end of my 20s, I just was getting really angry. It was like I was bringing awareness to all this unfinished business that I had that I started to finally recognize by the end of my 20s. My 20s were sort of plagued, I look at now, with me trying to make myself better. Mm. Self-improvement, you know, reading personal growth books, doing every kind of workshop, whether it was like tantra workshop, sexuality workshop. Um, I love those. Meditation, yeah. <laughs> meditation, um, ayahuasca, psychedelics. I sort of ran the whole field of what I could find. And... Um, still there was something in that whole, all that processing that was missing. And so I went and did a year of, a year and a half of pretty intensive psychotherapy. And working with a therapist was great, right? It really allowed me to kind of get a sense of myself, what some of my wounds are from childhood and things like that. And then at the end of that, I just basically said, okay, great, I'm going to go tell my parents all this. And he said, whoa, I don't know, you know, because usually therapy is something done in closed doors. Right, and kept to yourself. And kept to myself, right? <sighs> and, and, and usually what, and even workshops, you know, you might go into a workshop and you're really wanting something to change in your life, but you go and it's kind of secret and you're a little embarrassed about it. Well, you're right, and almost like no one's really giving you the tools to now communicate it with your family when you get back home. I mean, I just did another uh, workshop with one of my favorite people, Reed Mahalko. Uh, we've had him on the show. And um, anyway, but, but it was this thing of how do you, you're basically now going to enter the regular world again. And, uh, and are you kind of fortified enough to implement all the things you learned or, or how do you do it? You know, um, just challenging. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I also kind of ran the gamut. I mean, I've done ayahuasca, we've done all these, you know, and uh -huh. we've documented it on our show over the years. Um, and there is something about the work you're doing that just strikes this chord, uh, almost like the missing piece. I mean, I have to agree. For me, it's been that as well. It's like um, something that I was reading one of your um, 
email newsletters, Mm -hmm. which are so enriching, to be honest, like I love them when they come in. But, uh, but there was this moment, I actually just this morning had a bit of a tiff with my roommate. Um, We're always kind of going back and forth. And it's and it's these kind of built up resentments over time that are normal when you're living in a space together. And, uh, and it was something about like the sink is kind of making some noise. And the front door is like sometimes a little challenging to open. Apparently, it's very challenging for him. I don't have an issue. (laughs) And I and I well I found myself almost fighting with him about like the door is not an issue and he's going the door is an issue and I realized um it's really not my business to judge his experience and uh and your newsletter had this great line in it which was like you know remembering how to check in with your actual experience instead of just your interpretation of it and that just that really struck a chord where I was going, yeah, I mean, I was judging and giving an interpretation of how I'm experiencing this and like, hey, it's not a problem for me. And then and then I thought, well, why do I need to fight with him about how it's not a problem for me? It's a problem for him. Therefore, he gets to resolve the issue as as he wishes. And I was able to say that I was like, yeah, I, I backed off. I said, sorry, you're right. I'm I'm harping on something that you're having a negative experience over. I, I'm here to, I'll, you know, I want to give you space to fix it as you want. And how did it go? How did it turn out? Good. I mean, he said, he said, thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you brought up a thing there that like one of the things about honesty work that most other kind of modalities tend to turn away from is that um, you might have the thought that says like, I shouldn't be judgmental or I shouldn't be petty. But the reality of experience is we're all really judgmental and we're all really petty. (laughs) And there's something like really liberating about being able to out ourselves about actually how petty we are. Like if we just say it and just be like, sorry, I was being petty about this or really honing in on my own experience. And sorry works too if you're actually feeling sorry. Sorry generally is not because someone's feeling sorry. Sorry is often because someone's feeling embarrassed and they think that the other person might get mad at them or they're trying to reduce conflict. So sorry is also just tends to be phony. Yeah. Well, do you feel like it? I mean, in some ways it feels like it often blurts out without a lot of intention or thought, but maybe it's also sorry is like, you're right, I guess trying to placate or silence. And just think about how like, how many times someone says sorry to you and you kind of you kind of like shrug it off like no it's okay it's fine because there's something probably in you that doesn't believe them that really they're saying sorry for their own benefit not for your benefit yeah basically like 10 different memories just like slammed in my brain of yeah. of moments where the sorry was silencing uh but and and maybe the the biggest one for me i find really interesting that i feel is i would call it almost like a trending experience which is um Maybe I'll say something and the person just out of fear, like a, a fear response says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, uh, and I go, well, it's fine. I, or, or they'll, you know, they go, no, no, it's fine. I don't, I don't care. It's fine. I don't need to know why. Like, I, I'm sorry. It's fine. You know, I don't know. Just like this shutting down. Um, and I, and I'll often go, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I just, I want to communicate so that we know the whys of what we're both feeling. Yeah. yeah. And you said it there. The major thing I feel like with honesty work is really... Something that's an antidote to this constant and ever-present shutting down of our actual felt experience. So we do that pretty much all the time by pretending. And we just pretend all the time. We pretend we're happy when we're sad. We pretend we're totally fine when we're actually angry. We pretend we're 
um, not judging when we are judging. We pretend that like we're having a good time with our families and parents when we're totally not. Yeah. So, so much of our life is just a kind of pretending game. (sighs) Okay. But question, I mean, things like, okay, we try to not judge when we are judging. Okay. Like you, you know, how do you not, you know, you're in this moment. So you're, so we're talking about the holidays are coming up, right? Everyone's going to be going home with their families. Woo. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I mostly have a great relationship with my family, but you're right. Like if I'm honest, there's, I live my life pretty differently from them. And, um, you know, there's this moment, like a cousin of mine said something like, well, and he was talking to me about talking about me in third person, you know, and, and it was something like, well, you know, Christina's a little kooky. And I thought, you know, my thought was, am I, am I really kooky or am I just connecting authentically? And you all are dodging it or, or it doesn't fit your formula of like what, what has value. I don't know. And, and so where do you, where do you draw the line? Where do you, um, you know, so back to the family, you're going to the holidays. Where do you not engage? I mean, I was reading a great article in the LGBTQ community. There was a magazine that talking about that holiday conflict of the family members who are anti-gay, um, how do you kind of live your truth without necessarily creating conflict consistently? Or I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? I don't know if you can really, I don't know if you can live your truth without the possibility of conflict. And so most of the time, it seems that like a lot of us kind of build our lives and our persona precisely to avoid conflict. Yeah. So you might become the nice guy or the mm. person who smiles all the time, or the performer, or there's a whole, or the helper. We take on these personas, which we probably developed from early childhood. It was our way of surviving, mm-hmm. which helped us get through childhood, but now is not serving us. And um, and it's a little sad. I mean, that's a little sad to me. So that, maybe inherent in my statement is why are we trying to avoid conflict? Yeah, like what is the problem with conflict? And the big problem with conflict is that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And part of the work, part of like the deeper honesty work is that getting to the base that actually the thing that we're avoiding the most is uncomfortable sensations in the body. Mm. Our mind's going to keep doing what it does, but you know that, right? You're a little bit triggered by someone, you're a little angry. And what happens? Your stomach gets tight, your face gets red, your mouth gets dry, your heart starts to beat. The beat. Yeah, I was going to say the heart beating comes to mind immediately. And immediately then it's, what are all my strategies, which might be different than your strategies, to get away from that? Hmm. So for some, it's shut up and silently resent right? Which is a lot of people who withhold. Most of us withhold a lot. So yeah, you yeah. silently resent. I think yeah, I think I do that. <laughs> Some people, it's the opposite. It's they go totally off the handle and they just start ranting. In both of those situations, there's no contact with the other person. When someone rants and just is like commando, just screaming and yelling, which is actually the basis for drama. Impre- is, I know, which I, okay, go ahead. Yeah. It's, In- a, thing, it's a thing about TV. It's, it's actually one of the reasons why I love the show. This is us. Mm-hmm. Also, great playwrights come from there, oh, from nice. New York. So it's nice to know that. But This Is Us, for me, really transformed the paradigm of TV, like that much. Wow, because, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and because what they did was totally opposite of what they teach you about drama, which is I'm going to come in, basically it's all about secrets, and then I'm going to come in and basically just sort of tell you all this stuff, and then I'm going to run out of the room, not stay with you, and the person just will stay there reeling as the camera comes in. Yes, I know. This has always been, this has been a source of frustration. I'm going, why wow, this isn't com- this isn't exciting to watch. It's it's frustrating and not kind of 
I, I like to watch stories that show me blueprints for opportunity of how things could be, yeah. right? Different avenues, different approaches. So you're saying this does that. And that's why I love This Is Us, because oh, they, made, cool. they have made it dramatically interesting to have people reveal secrets and stick with each other. And stay in the space. And that's one of the main things around this honesty stuff, right? So sometimes people hear the word radical honesty or something like that, and it's just like, oh, what does that mean? It means I'm just going to level my opinions at people and be angry. That, that, or, yeah, that idea of, of unfiltered, say whatever you want right. to say. And I actually quite advocate Say what you want to say. Unfiltered, say what you say to the person. But, but how? A, but there's a difference. Because <laughs> most people, most people, when they think about honesty, they just think of their opinions. I'm just yeah. going to share. I like this politician. You like that politician, yada, yada, yada. When we talk at the level of opinion, fine, right? But there's not a lot of, there's no growth or movement that happens from opinions. Right. So that's the main place that people think honesty exists. And they also think that everybody's just going to be mad at each other. It's telling that they think that. Wow. Because sharing and finding a way to share anger without blame is something that our culture doesn't know anything about. Yeah. So the idea that you can have creative conflict makes no sense. And so, of course, if someone says honesty is going to come up, then they're like, oh, my God, everybody's just going to be mad at each other. Well, you're probably pretty mad at a lot of people, which is why you fear that that's going to come out. Yeah. So part of the honesty work is like, how do we deal with conflict creatively without blaming another person. And that's the key for the relationship stuff. I mean, honesty to me, another big picture version of it is about forgiveness. Honesty, the reason you reveal, you keep revealing, is so that you get better at getting over stuff faster. Mm. Just keep getting over stuff. It comes and goes. And like we said before about the when if someone gets angry or something, right, you get all those sensations. So we don't want those sensations, so we kind of deflect in different ways. Yeah. But what if you stayed with the sensations what happens? They dissipate. They come and go. Because, yeah, you become aware of it instead of go. just awareness instead of mm-hmm. trying to govern it. I think also, yeah, it almost brings me back to my roommate. Uh, you know, was, uh, anyway, it's its its own relationship, right? But it's there's, um, what did I want to say about it? Uh, yeah, there is definitely this like avoidance of letting the heartbeat, you know, increase and having that actual conflict. Something that I also noticed in your newsletter was that idea of um, staying with the feeling, which you just said, and and allowing it to be there. And in fact, if you're sharing, if you share what you're feeling in your body, how similar it probably is for the other person Mm -hmm. and how that's a unifying moment where you go, wait, so I'm stressed out and you're stressed out. Yeah. And it's like, okay, let's. Let's sit down. Let's yeah. have some tea. Let's talk about what's bothering us. Yeah. And so that I think that not, to me, it was the acknowledgement of the common experience that actually reminds us that we're the same. I don't know. Do you totally. add on that? or? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the thing with that is that it's kind of an art form because we're never taught it. And so you saying about the experience part and sharing feelings and all is huge. A, a big mentor of mine in this whole work is this guy named Tabor Shadburn. And he has this idea that you speak from the ground up. So essentially, Mm. when you have a conflict with someone, most people are basing the conflict on their righteous indignation about how they've been wronged. The thing is, and here's the big relationship tip, right? The relationship tip is that if your interest is in being right, the relationship won't work. The idea for relationship is about connection and intimacy, and you got to eventually get over your righteous indignation or at least out yourself about how right you want to be. Mm. But just this thing about from the ground up, it's essentially this. If I'm angry at you for something, right? Mm -hmm. I I immediately feel it in my body first. 
So I might come up and say something to you like, okay, so you share your self-talk first. Okay. Hey, um, there's something that happened and I'm feeling like kind of nervous to share this with you because I think you might get mad or you might leave, but I really would like, would you be willing to listen to me share this with you? And if you're on board, which is great, we try to, it's nice to have consensual honesty. Yeah. Like, are you ready to hear this right now? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, actually I'm leaving in five minutes because yeah. yeah, And then you go, okay, so let's pick a time this evening. Exactly. That's great. Because most of our, most of our triggers and stuff like that are are kind of minor things that get us riled up. Mm. So it's nice to say like, are you willing to listen to me? The person says, yes, great. So then you start with, oh, I'm feeling like real. So you start from the bottom up. The bottom is the body. You're Mm. like, okay, my stomach's really tight, you know? And this is for someone who's kind of you, you think you can have this conversation with maybe your grandmother, you don't share that your stomach's tight and stuff like that. Or maybe you do. I, I feel, Depends. I feel like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Start that's there. The shared experience you were talking about. One, it also grounds you because you're, you're, you've allowed that person to understand that you're, that you're having totally. this tense feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it, it'll, you know, when people have done that to me or if I do it, that person's able to go, okay, okay. I, I'm listening. I, I get yeah. that, you, that you're, I don't, yeah, it somehow takes them out of a defensive mode. Yeah, and you're kind of like, oh, bless your heart. Like, you're sharing this with me. Cool. Yeah. And so then it's like, oh, my armpits are sweating, and I'm really nervous to say this and all. And then the next trick, because the mind is such a fucker, and it inserts <laughs> itself in every moment to transform everything into basically bullshit. Yeah. And so then what you focus on after that is you say something like, you know, I'm mad at you for when you did this, this, or this. And it's real specific and it's concrete and the person knows what you're talking about. Most people will say things like, you're just being an asshole. It means nothing. In our right. language of the honesty world, there are no assholes. There are no jerks. None of these things exist. There are things that people do. So you say something like, I'm mad at you for not doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. Or I'm mad at you for breaking that commitment. And all you're sharing is that you're staying on, you know, all you're sharing, there's no blame. You're right. just sharing like, I'm mad at you and this is what's going on with me. And then the other person will probably feel some stuff too. But what you'll notice is when you say the right thing, not in the right, in the correct thing, the thing that's most accurate, you will have a movement of those sensations. Right. Notice if you try to like go up and you're mad at somebody and you just try to like be righteously indignant and say, you should have done this, da, da, da. You notice there's no sensations that move. Right. But when you say to them, like, I'm mad at you for calling that woman or sleeping with that person. Then it's like, oh gosh, and all those sensations move and you're just like, oh, and your heart starts to beat more, right? And if you've said it with enough mirror of what you actually feel, most of us tend to kind of downplay it. Like, Mm. I'm mad at you for it. It's like, you might be really mad. So just say it with your voice. I'm mad at you for this. The sensations move and go. And very often, very quickly, when the sensations pass, you will appreciate that person for exactly the thing that you were mad at them for. Because you realize that all the stuff was your own. Yeah. But let me, here's the one little Uh, thing. Here's the one little big thing, though, about the difference between most self-improvement stuff and all out there. uh Is that most of these modalities will say, it's all your own stuff. You deal with it. The difference in sort of the radical honesty and the honesty world is that, yes, it is all your stuff. You do something and it triggers me because I have a backpack of conditioning that I carry around with me. (laughs) And I get triggered by something. The, the other thing is that I actually need you for me to really get over it. Wow. Because we're, we're like, you know, we're traumatized and hurt with our backpacks in relationship. 
we're not getting out of it not in relationship by meditating it away or something like that. Right. So it's so you almost like already appreciate the person. Even though you're angry, if you start to do this a lot, even though you're already angry, you also sort of appreciate them if they're gonna listen to you. Because you need them to really help yourself get to forgiveness. It's huge. It's a total paradigm shift and it totally offsets the whole taboo about expressing anger, the taboo about expressing real joy, the taboo about expressing what you want. Now you talk about a lot about sexuality and things like that. This is the place where honesty is hugely effective and important in sexuality, but it's the scariest too. Right. Uh, Yes. I was interested in, I think often, you know, people across the board men and women struggle with that moment you're actually in bed already together and I often hear so many stories I thought about this I was like yes a lot of women talk about not being satisfied um, and not really using their voice for what they want right or not maybe even knowing what it is that they want but um, but yeah I mean I don't know. Do you have thoughts on kind of here we are, we're in this moment. I always sort of say you do have to use your voice. And I think it's both sides coming to the table to be like, hey, actually, I really prefer this or I like to be touched that way or this way. Um, You know, I have a friend that that advocates for uh, communicating about your likes before you're even in bed together. Um, where you actually just agree to say, hey, like, let's play this game where we, you know, describe our favorite things. And then you're and then you kind of you go in there being like, I know your favorite thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rub your head. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and all that is just moving towards um, more honest communication. Yeah. Generally is helpful. So then the, usually the retort to that is it kills the mood. Okay. Yeah. You talk in the middle of like some kind of wonderful sexual moment and people aren't on the same page. I mean, most of the time in sexual experiences, people aren't on the same page. And how do you know? It's not this like, I really felt like you were with me. No, that's all bullshit. That's the mind making it up. You have to ask. Are and you so, with me? What's that? I said, ask, are you with me? Yeah. Like, are you with me? And like, what are you, what are you feeling right now? Do you feel good? Do you like this? That kind of thing. So even if in the middle you ask these kinds of things and the, the person then could just honestly say like, whoa, I just noticed that I kind of feel turned off now. And then maybe there's a conversation about, oh, okay, what turns you off? What doesn't turn you off? Oh, it's when you talk. Okay. And then you have a deeper conversation about what that is. Like maybe there's something in the sexual act that like if we become too present by talking, it gets a little bit scary. I mean, intimacy as is, we're terrified of intimacy. Yeah. Like actual intimacy, we're terrified. So there could be a huge, incredible learning, which would make the next sexual experience way more intense, more orgasmic. So you never know with it, but it's always like... How do I connect with what's going on with me and then share that? And sharing your truth is always something that's a little bit edgy and vulnerable. So if it comes off as like a control thing where you're just like, well, you got to listen to this and all, it's basically bullshit because you're not outing yourself about the deeper truth, which is I want to control you right now. I really want you to do what what I want. And that happens with me and in my relationship. Like there are moments where we'll have like get triggered by something. And I'm just like, I'm mad at you for this. I'm mad at you for not doing this or whatever. And then I realize that it's not moving, right? And so then I realize, huh. So then I'll say something like, I'm really attached to you doing this. I just really want you to do it. And I'm never going to get over it. (laughs) So it's a little trick. We'd use this little trick of never get over it Mm -hmm. to really acknowledge and identify how much I'm holding on to this idea. Right. So with couples, I have couples and one person's like, you know, someone's like really can't get over something. 
And then I'll just say, okay, well, tell that person, you know, I'm mad at you for sleeping with that person and I'm never going to get over it for my whole fucking life until you die. And usually it's so extreme that they start to laugh a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It cracks that little bit of that shell. Yeah. Um, But to me, all the stuff we're talking about is the stuff that is only mildly addressed in most kinds of personal growth things. People are really terrified to be in a group. I'm talking about leaders now because Mm. most leaders get into personal growth stuff and things like this because they were wounded. But yeah. they're often not in places where they've really been in a situation where they can really sit with people's anger, sexuality, um, desires, and wants. And so they create these whole methodologies and things of how to like 10 ways to get this or that. And it's just like, to me, all that stuff is just total bullshit. Yeah, What's like noise. real is really identifying with what's going on with you and sharing that openly and honestly to the person. Particularly the stuff you want to withhold from others. That's the stuff you share. Yeah. So right, right. I'll the minute you go, I don't want to tell you that. And then you go, so now I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you just say, hey, I have this thing that I was about to tell you, but I stopped myself because, and then what are you nervous about? And then you tell them all that stuff. Yeah. There is no absolute truth that you have to share. It's just one well, also the ongoing thing. Yeah. Also that you haven't failed because you didn't say it 20 minutes ago. You can now come back and go, hey, I didn't say this thing 20 minutes ago. And it's really, I think, clutch to the solution. And maybe you say also like, and I feel a little bit like a failure that I didn't share this with you right then. Yeah. Even that. This is just, it's every out. time you say all these like key phrases, they're like, it's like melting warm butter or like, I don't know, or, or what's it a better now? Like music just on my ears. I'm like, oh yes. Like what, it's so think, nice to be communicated with that way. And what do you, and what do you think that is? Like what, what do you think it is about the way I was saying those things or? I, I think it's the, well, it's honesty and it's, and it's, it's, a it's something I can relate to. I think that it's mm. like, I hear your experience and then I know, I know what that experience is. I've had those experiences. And so I'm, I am honored to have you acknowledge it in that way. It's interesting to me. It's just incredible how like just a little bit of self revealing can almost immediately create some kind of intimacy and connection. Even if it's something that you find really hard to tell, like, Hey, I'm really nervous to say this to you. And I'm a little mad at you for when you did this or that. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God. Okay. Question. Yeah how is the other person to respond? You know, I suppose it's something like acknowledging, starting there, acknowledging what they said, but how do you not inflame? Or, um, yeah, I mean, if you have a disagreement, is it is it like, hey, are you ready to hear my response? Well, it depends. It depends on how <laughs> intense the trigger is. Yeah. You know, if the trigger is pretty intense, then the other person might come back. I mean, if they're getting skillful in this kind of stuff, they might come back and just be like, well, fuck you. I resent you for resenting me. That's pretty much the typical resentment that comes. Yeah. Okay. If you say I'm mad at you for something, the other person usually gets defensive. And, and so one of their honest responses to that right then in the moment is, well, I'm mad at you for getting mad at me. Yeah. But then the key is keep focusing on all the stuff you're feeling the sensations in your body, mm-hmm. okay? And that will happen, and it'll be a flood for both of you, right? right? And then that stuff, and then you'll see what the next thing is, and maybe it's appreciation comes up and you share that. I mean, it's like an incredible wild ride yeah. that you're going on. But you're right, when it's with just two people, once you get a little bit of like practice, you know, if like you're at a workshop at some point or you get a little practice with this, you see some couples, generally like what tends to happen is like, like my fiance will give me a little bit of space to kind of like, say my stuff 
because it's it's not the key thing about when you're mad at somebody is the way to get it away from blame is to basically you're not trying to change the person. So I often say I'm mad at you for this and I'm not asking you to change. It's mm. my responsibility to get over it. Yeah. So basically she'll just kind of sit there and I'll be, and I'll kind of say my stuff and I can start to feel it move and then and then she'll have a moment and then she'll come back and she'll say you know what I'm mad at you for saying all that to me. And then she'll go through her processing. Mm. Eventually you get to a place where you're both pretty neutral and you're kind of like, okay, we're pretty silly. Yeah. You know, can I, I, for, I would like to share my kind of experience and, and like, I, and I think it comes back to that holiday dynamic of Mm -hmm. you're with the family. And so you're with maybe people who haven't done this. Right. And they're still in either avoidant nature or an aggressive nature. Um, I've actually found it to be very healing anyway. So I might not get the exact response I wanted. Like, is my, you know, is this other person going to hug me or tell me, yes, I want to please you all this stuff. It turns out for me, it it didn't even matter that in fact, I needed to speak my truth. And, and sometimes I'll say, you know, thank you for hearing that. Or, you know, I, I just needed to let you know that that was happening for me. And, um, and maybe they do respond aggressively. And it's like, because I'm anchored in my truth and I know that I've said something that is real for me, I don't, it's almost unshakable. I don't know. Does that, have you had experiences like that or does that resonate with you? Well, I'll, I'll push you on some of the things in there a little bit. Okay. Um, about the unshakable part. I yeah. get when you're saying that, that you've said something and then you find it valuable just in the revealing of it itself. Yeah. That there's flow in my body. I, I, I just, bring up the word unshakable because oftentimes um, we want to kind of create a thing where we can share something, but we want to make sure that we're not affected by the return of mm-hmm. what people. And part of the thing about sharing is that you're open to the vulnerability of the feedback from the person, which might be, wow, they do get mad. And then you stay with whatever comes up and you're like, ooh, I didn't really want to make you like that mad. I just really needed to share this. Or you know what? I can understand why you're a little bit mad. Or maybe you get mad back at them for being mad. Yeah. Right? It tends not to go, it tends not to turn into a circle of people being accurate and direct about what they're mad about, which is something that happened in the world. Most people are angry about interpretations. But that's a big, that's a big thing you work on in like a workshop where you get the distinction between what you notice in the world that's real and what you imagine. Yeah. That's one of the basic things Yikes. we did yeah, when we were in we, the workshop. Yeah, we did yeah. that exercise. And I but I think I feel like even for our listeners, um, like does that even resonate? It's it's almost a hard concept to grasp mm-hmm. if you're not even slightly aware of it. Yeah. Like when are you just making judgments versus what actually just happened? Right. Right. Yeah. How do you I don't know, I mean, how do you become aware? Okay, yeah, so think of it it this way, right? We're basically living in our own mind interpretation all day long, and everyone else is, and our interpretation bubbles are bouncing off each other, and we're never in contact with anybody. Oh. It's a very very warm and uh, uplifting vision, and and pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. So the difference is how you know when you're noticing something versus when you're just interpreting something is that what you notice is something that a camera can record or a voice recorder can record. So if someone comes in, you know, they're coming home or something, and the first thing they say to you, let's just say, is like, why didn't you do this thing? Okay? Then you might get mad at them a little bit, and eventually you're just like, you know what? You always just like, you're just always kind of like a bitch when you get home, and you're kind of just this, da-da-da-da. None of that stuff's real. 
what actually happened if you slow down and track what was no, what was happening is that this person came in and they said a couple words and they said it a certain tone of voice or something like that. And so for me, it would be like, maybe I got mad. I could find my trigger was the tone of their voice. It's often tone of voice more than content. Yeah. Because people have a hidden agenda. They're not being clear in what they're saying. Mm. So you might be like, you know what? I'm mad at you for your tone of your voice. Or I'm mad at you when you said, why didn't you? Those are all things that actually happen. And the other person will probably remember and be like, oh, I did say those things. And what can they argue? You got mad about that. They can't say, well, no, you're not. It's like, no, I am. There's nothing yeah. to argue about. Right. So you can just kind of go around during your day and just notice a judgment that comes up. And notice if anything about your judgment is actually something in the world. Like, oh like my when God, you that- say in the world, like, okay, the door is open. These were the actual words said. Video this was the Right. Or a tape recorder. Yeah. So like that, like I just, I keep hearing like, that guy's such an asshole. Okay. What actually did they say or do? And it could be as simple as just the way that he smiled or just the way he turned his head. Right. It's these micro things. Ooh, I didn't want to say that because it gets into microaggressions. But these, <laughs> these, um, the loadedness of that. But these things, that's the things that are really good to focus on because they're super clear. Yeah. And well, and I feel like I was going to say that in that moment you go, oh, then you have to, then you have to answer why does that movement bother me? Mm-hmm. And then you're defining it and then you're finding some truth that maybe you weren't aware of. Totally. Yeah. And then you, you totally go, oh, it. right. Like, yeah, exactly. This person, it offends me because X, Y, Z. Yeah. You know, because it implies condescension or, you know, whatever it is, but yeah. And it brings up all that backpack of stuff we're all carrying around right? from all these past traumas and things and unfinished business. And so you might like, cause one thing I like to do is like, whenever you're angry at someone, there is always a should that you have for that person, which they probably don't know that mm-hmm. they're breaking. Right. Expectations. Yeah. And, and those expectations. So it's really good to call out. So some of the stuff we do in the workshop too, which we didn't get to, but is about should work. And we essentially have two people sit across from each other and they event, one tells the other person a should, their shoulds for everyone in their life. Wow. And the, ooh, person, says, and the person says <laughs> no to every single one of those. And then you have to confront it. You just like, you get to hear them back and you get to say your shoulds and the person says no. Then you say all your shoulds for yourself. You know, I should be exercising more. I should eat more healthy. I should go talk to that person. I should yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And we just start to see how our shoulds are essentially running our entire life. Yeah, I discovered uh, it was in an acting class where we we did these exercises. It was the same monologue and we said it to someone. They I think the act the coach even said, you know, you decide who it is. And then there was um then there was like saying it back to yourself. And what I discovered was I'm really harsh with myself. Mm. I basically was hard on myself and like emp- empathetic and like open and mm. and like supportive to this other person. And that was like eye-opening but i feel like they resonated with that idea of these shoulds right like what kind of shoulds are you putting on yourself that you're not even aware of yeah um or or that maybe you maybe if you were aware of them you'd start going yeah i I don't apply that to anyone else yeah where did it come from where did it come from like what did i get it from my culture did i get it from my parents most likely it's probably one of those two places yeah and all and then the thing is it is possible to live a should-free life Oh. It is possible to do things out of preference as opposed to should. Mm-hmm. So in the should space, it's sort of the victim space. Should, this stuff's happening, woe is me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But to get over that where you just have a preference for things and then you can begin to, you don't have an ax to grind, you just say what you want. 
yeah. and people can say yes or no, and then you deal with that. If someone says no, then you kind of go through the process of like being sad and mourning that, and but you're not inhibiting anymore these feelings about you might not get stuff you want sometimes. Yeah, it's okay. Question so, though, yeah. does and maybe this leads to also like once you. I like what you're saying. There's almost like a forward movement to I'm coming from a place of preference. So now I'm making active choices. Mm -hmm. So then do you discover that some of your relationships don't fit those preferences once you're really listening to yourself and, and then, and then you're kind of actively connecting with people who do fit your preference. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm maybe what I'm getting at is this idea of sometimes separation is appropriate. Totally. Or you realize you Mm -hmm. don't have common goals and you go, great. I'm glad we talked this out. Yeah. Let's, part yeah shake hands and, and i'll hug. just throw the throw in and that's great right because especially if someone tends to be someone who's very clingy and codependent then the idea of separation and, and growing into separation can be a really nice move but for a lot of people the sense of um i don't think this like i hear this a lot like i just don't like the person's energy it's just like the energy which is kind of a nebulous description of stuff that they're actually mad about so yeah. i would say if there is stuff if you haven't had a couple clearing conversations with the closest people in your life who you now kind of think that they're not right for your life, mm, I would say you're probably bullshitting yourself. That you haven't done the work. Yeah, that you're actually mad about a bunch of stuff that you've never cleared and you've rationalized it away. And so what would be beneficial just to see would say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you. Like I can tell we're kind of beginning to drift and I just want to I want to just have a conversation and just see um I've been withholding some stuff from you, and I'd like to share that with you. And the goal is not to stay together. Let's say in a relationship where it's a couple. When I work with people, the goal is like, it's never to stay together. The goal is to get clear on all that stuff so you have no more acts to grind with the person, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can sit with them and say, okay, huh, I pretty much forgive you. Like, I feel pretty neutral. Now, what do I actually want? Because you can't really know what you want when you're plagued by all this unfinished business, Right. Which is why one of the things that like is, is challenging, but like in this work, one of the biggest things is called revealing the facts. And revealing the facts is essentially going to the primary people in your life, caregivers, parents, old lovers, that you still, if you think right now, who are the three people that I still have this thing with? Unfinished business, I think about them a bunch, whatever. You need to go back and clean up that stuff. And to clean it up is you go have a conversation with them and get over it. But only until you do that are you really going to be able to decide if you want to stick with them. Same thing with jobs. I got to throw it out there with the job thing. Because people say, how do you be honest in the workplace? If you have that thing where you're just like, I got to leave my job, right? I just, it's it's horrible, da, 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 da. If you're already at the place where you're probably going to leave, I would say, go have some conversations with a few people, your boss particularly, and have an honest conversation. Because you already know you're leaving. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, I already, that, anyway, you're at that mentality. Mm-hmm. So, And I would say you don't really know. Maybe you have right. a clearing conversation with your boss and you're actually honest. You're a peer for a moment. And you actually get over it and you're kind of like, huh, the world changes when you get over your unfinished business. I mean, the clarity that comes is pretty intense. And a lot of times people go do this and they get promotions and they get all this stuff because it's like, oh, wow, this person can like hold their own. Proactively communicate. Tricky in the context we live in, which is where men tend to have these CEO positions. So I'm not saying that thing's easy and you have to kind of figure out for you what works. And when the survival thing is going, right, your job, it can be tricky. I'm not saying it's easy. But if you know that you're at a place where you're probably already going to leave, 
I would say be, what do you have be, to lose? be suspicious a little bit of that quick desire to get out of there and see if you can do some cleanup work because it'll be beneficial. Just like you said, when you went home, even if the person doesn't get it, it's beneficial to you and it's probably beneficial to them long term. Right. The big thing with all this honesty stuff is like, how do you get so in touch with sharing what you're sharing that you're not trying to change the other person? So if you go home and you're just like, oh, I really want to have a close relationship with my dad, but you got a bunch of beef you got to share and you share a bunch of beef and stuff and then he walks away or something like that. It's like, it's okay. If we can let go of like wanting too much out of that situation, but really just sharing what's going on with you now, you know? That's that's where the that's the power. That's the right. power. I think I also read on your website that you guys work with ex couples. Is mm-hmm. that do you have you had many people come in where they say like we need to resolve this past? People who get interested in this and they start to see that there's probably a benefit in getting over the stuff with the most important people. So we've been in like long relationships in our 20s yeah. and stuff. Yeah, you and I were about. talking before we got on air about the kind of that seminal relationship or this defining moment of your 20s. I'm sure some of our listeners are going, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, you'll probably find that you've repeated a lot of that stuff later on. Mm. And probably the fact in the 20s that you were in such a long re- relationship probably mirrors a lot of the stuff that was going on in childhood too. Mm-hmm. It's just we, have, we haven't developed enough yet at that point. So one thing you can do is go have clearing conversations with your parents. And that's essentially to sit down with each of your parents and basically say, hey, I want to have a conversation with you in order to be closer with you. Here's all the stuff I withheld. Here's all the stuff I did when I, here's the times I snuck out. Here's all the times I did drugs. Um, I'm mad at you for when I was seven and you did this. And you just, you just share all that stuff because you've probably begun to create, no, you probably have created an persona that is essentially trying to hide all that stuff. So you're going around in your life with a persona that's essentially hiding the stuff that you haven't dealt with. So if you do that first, you'll find that all the little stuff you might be mad about down the line, I'll call it, mm-hmm. kind of clears up a bit because mm-hmm. that stuff is triggering the early stuff. Right. But with these seminal people, especially in your 20s, I mean, if you want to really have like a whole integrated relationship later on, it's best to go back and clean it up even with those people. Yeah. Even with those people. Um, I had, and I feel like we kind of moved away from it, but earlier in our conversation, we were talking about... Um, the kind of the shutting down or the being silent. Um, I do uh, professional cuddling and a lot of my clients will talk about their relationships, of course. And, uh, and a lot of them, even around this need for touch, right. It comes up, uh, you know, I just can't tell my partner X, Y, Z, or I just couldn't tell them this or that, or I would never say that to them. I don't know. Do you, you know, it just, it rings such a bell with what we're talking about right now, which is that if you're, not having these conversations it's it's i don't know i mean it's it's painful right i mean it's stifling yeah. how do we how do they you know how do they conquer the fear i mean i guess i'd say check out your website uh you know but but kind of i think everything we're talking about right now so maybe i'm just rehashing a flicker in my mind but i maybe wanted to highlight that that comes up a lot you know and i think that most of us the the gut instinct is, oh, I can't, I can't say that to that person. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, and there's so many reasons that the mind will come up with of why it's not good to share it. Yeah. Right. 
are there baby steps? It's like, maybe I could test how it works if I start with something small, like the kitchen sink (laughs) or the laundry, right? Something little before I, you know, talk about our, I don't know, you know, what is it? The sex life or the finances or the whatever the stuff is that happens in marriages, right? The children. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably, there's no real, there's no real like general formula for that stuff. But I, I really like identify when you said like, there's a lot of suffering that comes from withholding. I mean, in the honesty work, basically withholding is the most damaging form of lying. People mm. will tell lies and white lies and they'll exaggerate and stuff like that. Fine. It's the withholding that really does damage to yourself. And um, yeah, with couples who are together and they're having that difficulty in there, I just, I guess it just like, <laughs> just like saddens me because some people will give up so much or the possibility of love, connection, intimacy, a life that feels meaningful um, because they want to avoid like maybe 35 minutes or a half hour of uncomfortableness. Yeah. It's like, or, we'll or live this a life of false belief that, that it'll be over if I, if I express these yeah. things. And so I would say for those people is just to always start where you are. Right. So maybe the truth itself, the thing that you don't want to share, like maybe you have some kind of fetish, that you don't want to share with like your partner. Maybe the first step is just like, Hey, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about like honesty and I can tell that I kind of withhold stuff sometimes. And I'm wondering if like you do that too. And if you'd be interested maybe in us sharing more than we normally do. And that if stuff gets a little bit uncomfortable and all, we just kind of make a commitment to stick with each other. And it kind of sets the context, like, what are you in your relationship for? I mean, here's a thing to, like, touch in with yourself. Are you in a relationship? Is your relationship wound-driven? Or is your relationship, like, transformation-driven? Do you think about your relationship in the context of two people who are looking to grow together, and so they're going to stick with the messy stuff that comes up? Or is it, we don't want to rock the boat, and essentially we're kind of making sure that we're just comfortable. It's a false kind of comfort, but we're comfortable. If you're the latter one, if you're the one that like, I just want to be comfortable, I would say like, there might be a probably a bunch of unfinished business that you haven't dealt with. Hmm. And that could be simply like, who knows, someone could have sexual trauma growing up. And so that kind of thing is like, let's keep it stable. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. It's, it's, I'm not like pushing anyone to go jump in. But that there is... But if you're feeling unresolved, and you just this start is a place where to you start. Are. You just start where you are. Um, or th- I just love the thing of like, cause we're all nervous mm-hmm. and we make ourselves nervous and anxious all the time. Like I'm really nervous to like tell you this thing. I'm like so nervous. I don't even want to tell you. Well, tell me, tell me. I just can't, I can't, I can't, you know, it's just like stepping in and sharing the self-talk. That's like a huge thing. I would great if people would start doing more of, yeah. it's like the honesty thing is you always know what to say. It's right there. You, there's no work needed. In fact, the way we come, we define radical honesty is just reporting what you notice to the person in front of you. And you can only notice three things in the entire world. There's nothing else to notice except what's in front of you. Like I'm noticing, like I see your hands right there mm-hmm. and you're talking to me on a mic. You can notice that the outside world recorder, like what's with the recorder. You can notice sensations in your body. Like my mouth's a little dry. Mm-hmm. I feel like tightness in my stomach. And then you can share, which is what we mostly live in, your thought stream. Right. But if you share your thought stream as, oh, I just had the thought that 
something different happens. You're not so identified with it because you as a being, as a person, are not your feelings, are not what you see, and you're not your thoughts. You're like this present thing, present moment being that's sitting in a chair right now talking to you. Right. Talking to another being. Able to receive and respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, John, do you have workshops or anything you'd like to share that are coming up that people could check out? Yeah. Um, we have, we have uh, some weekend workshops coming up. And weekend workshops are like kind of good things to jump into because really the whole point of like Honesty Lab is just to set a context where you learn some of these ways to be more honest for your own benefit. But you get a chance to practice with other people who are also there and will stick with you. So weekend workshop we have coming up, but the one I really want to mention because I just think it's so cool is we have these eight-day workshops we do. And the point of the eight-day is to simulate a year of psychotherapy in eight days. Wow. And so people will basically live together in a house and they'll make some commitments. And the commitments are, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to ask for what I want, which is usually the scariest one, actually. Um, And we basically spend the eight days together. And in the morning, we do some group stuff together, some exercises. We take a big break in the afternoon. Um, we come back, and then in the evening, which is so fun, we do life stories. And so two people, like one person will get an hour, and you basically get to share the story of your life. You're prompted mm. at 15 minutes. And then the next morning, people give you feedback about your story. Wow. And the way you tell your story, so usually people start off with, woe is me, woe is me. And if they come to a couple workshops, by the fourth workshop, they're just like, I had an amazing, man, I learned all this stuff. It was incredible. There's just a natural change, but not because somebody said, change yourself, focus on the positive, yada, yada, nonsense like that. It's because you were just with what you are. And then the one I want to mention because of maybe your listeners too is um, on day four or five, we do naked work. And for some, this is controversial. If you're in the group, it's not at all. But essentially what you do is it's on day four or five, we've had some time to get to know each other and all. Everybody comes in and we're all naked. We all sit in a group and each person stands up in front of the group and says what they like and don't like about their body and then their sexual history. That's intense. From when they started masturbating Mm -hmm. all the way on. Mm -hmm. And um, there's nothing sexy about it. It's mostly an exercise in dealing with shame and... um, trauma and things like that yeah and it's incredibly liberating because that's one of the things that like we might do with one therapist but to do it in a group a therapeutic community is is just incredible and so the change that can happen and that was huge for me i mean it's one of the reasons why i kept doing this work was i had some trauma that happened to me and that work is what really elicited this those feelings and sensations that allowed me to really kind of work through it And the deep acceptance that comes. So usually the people who are most fearful of doing naked work are the ones who almost always have the biggest benefit. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. Because they've got, they know that they have something they want to share. But it's, it's fun. So we get together for that period of time and you need the time. You really need the time to be in a context where you can practice being honest more regularly. Because I know it's tough out in the world. Yeah. It's, it's totally tough. Yeah, I feel like every time I see you again, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you like pulled mm-hmm. back to the, you know, the pole of truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll uh, forget. As soon as we leave this, we'll forget and go well, out. And... I, there's, like a, there's like a wearing off phase. It's like yeah. good for a couple of days. And then, you know, and checking in again. You're like, wait, I haven't been practicing, you know, yeah, the yeah. truth telling. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh Wow, thank you so much for talking with us. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you sharing this type of work and and um, 
I don't know, an opportunity for people to gain those skill sets. I mean, I, I talk a lot about, you know, if people have listened to other shows, just about our culture specifically, and, and this, there are strengths of, you know, how we grow up and what we learn. And then there's a lot of stuff that never, ever even gets addressed. So it's not, oh, you failed to develop these tools. It's like no one even showed them to you. And, uh, and that's why I was excited to have you on to talk about this because it's so uh, kind of new to, the, to our vocabulary. Yeah. I, mm. I keep, I want to broach another topic, but I mean, we're at the Do end. Do you? I, at the end. So I was, I you know, I was going to ask you if there's anything else you wanted to like touch on before we go. Well, I did just one thing. Yes, let's do because it. Because we're, we're now in this cultural moment, right, where mm-hmm. all these um, power dynamics are being shown, right? Yeah. We have all this sexual abuse stuff that's coming out. We've really seen, we've known this stuff, but we're really seeing that like this kind of vertically structured power situations, especially with men at the top, don't fucking work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're seeing this kind of call forth, right, of Me Too, and right. um, it's very powerful. Um, and the risk of it, too, is that um, men particularly often be, will start to silence themselves, too. And so I want right. to encourage and I hope to set up something where there can be more honest conversations about actually men sharing when they have, you know, use their power in certain ways in a way that's healing, Um, Mm. and this is a call out and I don't know if you've ever had people like this on the show, but because of like kind of the space in which you occupy, I wanted to bring something up that some people know about this thing called the pickup artist community. Yeah. If you know about that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But if anyone doesn't, maybe we just, it's, um, I don't know the name of the guy, but he wrote a book about how to pick up women originally. And then I think there's sort of a proliferation of different themed books around kind of getting what you want through kind of physical manipulation. Yeah, they, they, they couch it in something like evolutionary psychology that like this is just how men and women work. So if men do these things, women will be socially triggered and you'll just kind of get what you want more. Right. And I know some people in this community and um, I always just, I don't know, I kind of make this like pitch around those people and that, that whole community, that that community is like the opposite completely of honesty work. All of that stuff, which I think fits into this grid right now about um, patriarchy and male sexual abuse, is that there is this whole thing um, with men that they, you know, and I, I feel, I mean, I feel it too, but with men that you need to pretend and manipulate in some form with women to get what you want. And it's total bullshit. It's right. total bullshit. I just want to like call out to all those guys who are using those kinds of strategies that like a better strategy is to learn to be open and honest with the people you care about and right. share like, I'm really nervous right now and I really like you or I'm really nervous right now and I find you really attractive, these kinds of things. So I, I don't know. It just feels like a moment for that stuff now and there is a better way than all of that stuff out there about techniques to pick people up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to add about it. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, a holiday party I was just at and feeling, th- you know, I see it. I'm standing there and someone sort of tries to make that move in or kind of forces physical contact or uh, not even at a level of, you know, a sexual harassment, but this idea of like, I'm trying to show you I'm into you. So I'm going to stand close to you or kind of try and create some sexual energy or, uh, and it's, it's like, just, 
just have a conversation with me and just connect. And then, you know, we can maybe, maybe we'll go out if I'm interested or I'll just let you know that I'm not. I mean, I think maybe that's the big fear, right? Is, is someone saying I'm not, and maybe Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you've been given a full chance to Mm -hmm. show them what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sure. There's all that stuff going on. The reality. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole dynamics of how men are raised and how women are raised and that whole thing. That's all there. There's no way around that stuff. And because there's no way around that stuff, there are no techniques that get through that stuff. You have to go through the uncomfortable, annoying, alivening, invigorating path of honesty. Yeah. It's just, you know, how you get it. You win some by manipulation and then you're in a thing with them. It's going to fall apart at some point. Yeah. It's like when you get stuff by lying, you end up not actually liking it anymore. Right, because you didn't get it from an honest place. Yeah, which doesn't mean it's easy. So I know, guys, it's it's difficult to go up, and like lots of women now are also on guard about that, and so it's a tough dynamic for sure. And I say, well, that's just what it is. There's no way around it. Right, yeah. I mean, I also think, right, maybe it's calling it what it is to open the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think, you know, even what you were just describing about um, the male, whatever patriarchy dynamic, I, there's, I feel culturally, there's just an, an avoidant culture that we've grown up in that we're actually constantly being told to keep peace, keep the peace, mm. don't engage. And, um, and I think it's harmful in both ways. Oh, I know, I know what I wanted to add. Uh, it, it brought up, I had a conversation recently with my, with my ex of the, you know, the twenties, the kind of the defining mm-hmm. relationship. And I realized that, um, well, okay. I want to also say like Selma Hayek came out talking about her experience with Harvey Weinstein and it was, and she talked a lot about the very complicated nature of this, you know, kind of father figure, but the, the, the power of like this man, you know, and wanting his, um, approval or his validation as an artist. And, uh, and anyway, so a conversation came up about abuse and why does someone stay and allow that? And, uh, anyway, so back to my relationship, which I realized, um, in a lot of ways I was uh, giving the power to this other person and saying, well, you make the decisions, which was equally unfair in a way, right? It was, it was um, not claiming the power or calling it what it was, or I don't know, communicating about power dynamics in general. I don't know where I want to go with that. I think it's just acknowledging it allows Mm -hmm. for those, those things to start loosening and shifting. Yeah. Um, And in the conversation, I said something like this to him and I, I remember there was this long silence because it was so, you know, like, oh, you know, I wasn't saying you were taking the power and pushing it on me. I said, I gave you, I kept giving you the power, which is a burden. Then you had to make the decisions. And then when I didn't like the result, you had, you know, all of a sudden it was your fault. And he, and I think for him, it was like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, never, we'd never processed it that way, you know, so yeah, just just looking at, you know, how much power we all have as individuals and when do we give it up and when do we keep it and And then also what, what do we, to not also let ourselves off the hook of what do we get by quote unquote giving it up? Yeah. Right? So um, we also don't have to experience what it's like to be vulnerable and asking for what we want and having someone say no. And that's one of the big things that comes up in workshop stuff is about asking for what you want and how, how dangerous that feels. Because so many times when we were younger, we asked for what we want, we got shut down. I was going so to say, do you... So now it feels like, like yeah. asking for what you want is like, uh. And so we do it in indirect ways. So we basically indirectly demand things from people. Mm-hmm. We don't make any requests anymore. 
We don't know the art of making requests. And a request is always something that gives the person totally freedom to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. And we also ask usually when we're triggered and angry. So person hears that in the background context of a request. So in the art of like asking for what you want, it's like the first thing is like, see if you're clear. If you're like neutral, then great. Then go ask them. And usually it's something like, will you do this or this? So they can actually say yes or no. Right. And, and the anger is usually because you've, you've waited so long to say it. Mm-hmm. And the anger is the only thing fueling your courage to mm-hmm. s- express. And then, the, and then the last one with that too that I like to say is um, people aren't real specific about what they want to, and request from people because that's scary because the person may very well say no. So for example, like in relationships, someone's like, I just want you to support me more. Like, I'll just throw out there, like, doesn't mean anything. Yes, it means that the person's hurting in some form and wants support, but it doesn't actually take responsibility for what that support means. So it'd be better to say something like, hey, will you rub my back right now? Will you draw a bath for me? Will you sit down and listen to me about what happened today? I have this crazy story. These are all like tangible things that a person knows what to do. So I see so often in relationships that like no one's specific about their requests. No one wants to take ownership for their requests about what they really want. And they want to keep everything nebulous because it's kind of edgy. So that's just one thing for relationship people. Just like see if you're angry. If you're not angry, great. Make a request that allows the person actually to say yes or no. And then say something that you might actually get in the moment. It's a whole different thing. Mm. And if they say no, you say, okay then you deal with it. Not in terms of going away. Say You can say something like, oh, wow, you saying that like, ugh, I kind of feel sick or oh, my body got all tense when you said no and I'm kind of embarrassed for even asking now. But it's like you process through when someone says no. And I would say like, if you don't make requests and you don't ask for what you want from people, getting no is probably better for you. Go out and ask a ton and get no all the time. And you realize, like you said with telling your family, that actually getting what you want is not the most important thing. The most liberating thing is just knowing you can ask and mm. that you're free to get it or not get it. Yeah. So cool. cool. We got stuff in there about once. I know. Good. <laughs> I'm glad you said something. Thank you for using your words, yeah. <laughs> sharing, you know, honestly what you wanted to do. Uh, awesome. Okay. So just to double check the, um, honestly, honesty lab.com. Mm-hmm. Is that lab.com. Honesty dash lab.com. Mm-hmm. John Rosania. Um, and I mean, if you Google, you can find all that information. Mm-hmm. You do have a couple workshops coming up in the spring. They are all LA or you travel around. They're, yeah, they're around. But the big one, the March 8th, it's going to be the only one this year. That's the eight day. That's mm-hmm. going to be in Los Angeles, up in the Hollywood Hills. I found an amazing place. But Neat. then, yeah, there's some other place around the country that we do things. Yeah. And uh, and you have a great newsletter. So I recommend that people sign up for that oh, also. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, great. You guys have been listening to TNA Talk Sex. Uh, just T here today. Um, uh, because sex is never just about sex. Uh, got a lot of communication conversation going here. So... Uh, until next time, enjoy the holidays. Uh, check out our Patreon to talk with uh, Billy from the Man Whore Podcast. Yeah.